Welcome to the Packaging Perspective, video and podcast series brought to you by PackHelp. Every episode, we welcome an exciting new brand to learn about what makes them pass, the trends taking off in their industries, and the fascinating role packaging plays in it all. Hi, this is Magda from PackHelp and welcome on today's episode of the Packaging Perspective. Today we'll be looking at the very specific sector of the fashion industry, denim. Blue jeans are among the most worn piece of clothing on earth, transcending time, trends, even social status. According to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, it is estimated that Consumers worldwide shop 1.2 billion pairs of jeans every year. But that's unfortunate for the planet because denim production uses a lot of resources like pesticides, water, energy. So how does it impact today's fashion brands and brands that are producing denim? Does it also influence the packaging they're using? I'm gonna chat about all of this with our today's guest, Zoe Damon, Corporate Responsibility Manager from Kuichi. Hi, Zoe. Hi. Hi, Magda. So nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you for accepting our invite. How are you today? I'm well. Yeah, really excited to talk about uh, denim with you. First of all, let's give a, you a little bit of space to introduce the Kuichi. I've read online that you are the first denim brand that's organic since 2001. That means you're in the business for more than 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. So tell us how it all started. For Koichi, the journey actually started before 2001 because we were founded by an NGO, Solidaridad. It's a Dutch NGO. And they were in Peru uh, looking at coffee beans and these kind of things. And then they saw the devastating effects of conventional cotton farming because of the pesticide use that yeah, uh, is not a good impact on local communities. And then they figured, let's do what we do with coffee beans, making it more fair and uh, less polluting with cotton as well. And with that thought, they had these farmers producing better cotton, but the price was really high. So conventional brands weren't willing to pay up the price. That's when they figured, let's start a brand ourselves. And that's when Kuichi started. First product range was uh, tees in all colors of the rainbow. And that's also where our uh, name is coming from because it's the Peruvian god of the rainbow, Kuichi. Yeah. Uh, and from there, the brand uh, evolved into a denim brand uh, because, yeah, denim is one of the most uh, worn pieces of cotton clothing, as you already said. As Kuichi, you publish uh, sustainability reports, uh, which are a form of non-financial reporting on your sustainability metrics and your progress towards them. I've read in your latest report that, and I'm going to quote it here, the production of a piece of a clothing is a wild ride with numerous steps and processes along the way. Can you explain what you mean by wild ride and maybe walk us through the production process a little bit? Yeah, so the production process is really, really a wild ride because there are so many processes embedded in making a piece of clothing. We don't really think about how many hands have touched a piece of garment as well. It starts in the head office with the design, but then if we look at the making of the denim, you have to go back to the farm. And yeah. here the farmer uh, produces his cotton in like half an 
year he produces it from seed until the final raw cotton. And this cotton has to go to a ginner. The ginner has to clean the cotton, has to comb the cotton, and it becomes a bill of cotton that goes to a spinner. And the spinner, he combs it again to make it really silky soft into the, like these thick threads of uh, a yeah, chunky knit. <laughs> yeah. And that has to be become like a finer thread again. So there are big machines there. Uh, and then it goes into dyeing. And uh, with denim, it's really specific because indigo dye, it's not really an effective way of dyeing normally because the, the pigment doesn't adhere really good to... Um, to the yarn. So you need multiple beds of dye because the indigo also needs oxygen to turn blue. So, and that goes into the weaver and the weaver makes denim from it. And that's like really specific weaving as well. So their construction of the fabric is established at the weaving. And with denim, it's like a diagonal twill. So you can see that in your denim. I don't know if you're wearing one right now. No. <laughs> but you can see like diagonal uh, lines on your denim. And that's what specifies denim fabric. So that's really awesome. And then you have denim fabric. It goes to a new factory again, normally. There they cut it into patterns uh, with a laser or with uh, like mechanic uh, scissors. And those patterns need to become a jeans. And for that, you have like this big production line of 20 steps or even more uh, with every machine specified for that simple one step. In the past, that was where the production ended in a way because we bought them as dry denim. You can still get them today. I'm wearing one right now. But now we are used to getting like worn in looked denim yeah. so it has to go to the laundry <laughs> yeah vintage style yeah the vintage style like really nice uh, shades of blue and you can change a lot on the denim in the laundry uh, and there actually what we do is we embrace like micro layers of the fabric so the internal part of the yarn is not dyed because it's not it's how it's dyed and if you like shave off the micro layers then the lighter color comes through and that's really specific to denim as well so in the laundry you use chemicals or sanding paper and now with newer technology you can use lasers or ozone machines that are really better for the people and the environment and then you have a denim fully constructed and you still have to add like the buttons the rivets the labels and then it goes to the warehouse. So it's a long ride. And this is really simplified version because in every step there are yeah. multiple steps included. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's a it's a very long process. It's complicated to understand it to full extent. Yeah. There are some parts that are more challenged than the others because they have a bigger impact yeah. on the environment. Which parts of the production process you would say are currently the most challenged and transformed globally? If it really comes to denim, then I think it's both the materials used and uh, the wet processing. So the laundry that I said before. So the new machinery like ozone, newer chemicals, better chemicals. To go back to the material choice, of course, Koichi, we have like a only organic cotton policy. So all our cotton is certified organic. And with that, we guarantee that in the process of growing the cotton, there's no pesticide used, no insecticides used, no uh, synthetic fertilizer, no GMO seeds. 
And it's really better for the farmer, but also for the, the earth and the ground that it's uh, grown upon. And you think organic, wow, it's not really shocking that we use that because you see it everywhere now. Yeah. But actually only 1.4% of all cotton is organic certified at the moment. That was a report of textile exchange uh, last year. And it's really so... Yeah, minimal. That's I'm really questioning where all this organic cotton is coming from, and that's why we all we're also thinking the demand is really high now. So the uh, offer has to grow as well, but it's really difficult to grow that offer fast because it takes like up to three years to go from conventional farming to organic farming. So together with one of our denim mills in uh, Turkey, uh, Bossa Denim, we set up a cotton and conversion project where we help farmers to move from conventional to organic farming. First products with them uh, will launch in August. So we're really Yay. excited for that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And I also visited the farmer last year in September, which was really awesome because for him, it was also the first time that he saw a brand at the farm <laughs> uh, because most brands don't visit farms. And it was really awesome to see how he changed uh, the, his whole farming business uh, from conventional farming to now uh, organic farming. And still he was like really hesitant. It was just before the harvest. So he didn't know how much yield or how much volume of cotton he would get from his field. But because Bossa covers like the risk of losing income, uh, the farmer gets that incentive to change because it's there yearly in income so making that shift yeah. and taking that risk is, is really hard uh, because it's what you've known all these years what you've been taught by your parents and yeah change from one day to the other and risking your like yearly income it's not a light choice to make yeah yeah i imagine I think that's really amazing that you uh, invest in tackling the challenges that are not the easiest, but yeah. the, the most burning ones, you know. So I think that's really amazing. When we're talking about the materials, one of the things I've uh, read on your website is that you are uh, including post-consumer recycled materials within your materials mix. When did you implement that and was that difficult at all? Yeah, I think the first project we did with that was in 2008, so a really long time ago. We had a really awesome project. It was called uh, Deposit Denim. And it's f mostly funny for Dutchies, but we had like this slogan on a window in Amsterdam in the red light district. And it said, Bij uh, 10 euro. And it's translated like blowjob 10 euro. But in Dutch, pipe is both the legs of your denim of, right. of your pants and blowjob it was a really funny event <laughs> because tourists would go inside and we we're like oh 10 euros okay and <laughs> then they were like on oh this, it's on about this jeans event. it's about <laughs> jeans yeah <laughs> so that was really nice so that was the first time that we actually got uh, denim legs and recycled them into new jeans we have had multiple projects like that, but we also use other post-consumer cotton waste streams like uh, bed linens and these kind of things. And we uh, make them into new fiber uh, mechanically and put them in our jeans again. Yeah, so it's really nice because you can see a difference and uh, it reduces the impact majorly, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I had to ask about it because um, actually we see the increase of brands asking for the packaging uh, containing 
PCR, plastic mainly. Yeah. And actually, that's great news because producing virgin plastics uh, requires a lot of energy that usually yeah. runs on fossil fuels. So that's just a very good thing for the environment. So I'm happy to see this trend being present also in fashion production, but also in the packaging side of things. Are there any other innovative materials that you're um, proud of you want to share? Yeah, besides um, re- mechanically recycled fibers, there's also a growing increase of chemically recycled fibers. Um, they have like the same kind of feel like a viscose or um, a lyocell. Uh, and they also use the same process as a lyocell. And we use right now Fibra. It's from Lensing. Uh, it's a really nice fiber. They use uh, pre-consumer waste right now, but their goal is to also go towards post-consumer waste. Uh, but I think one of the things we overlook the most is to use the fibers that we have used for centuries already, including like linen and hemp. Those are fibers that we, the percentage of usage on the global industry is really, really low. Well, they have major benefits because the impact of growing them is, is way less. They need less water. So in that way, it's really convenient to use these kind of fibers, but the offer is really low and it's more expensive so that's why most brands don't look for those kind of fibers but in my own bubble so I'm not sure if it's really the case but I can see more linen uh, coming in but hemp is still like underrated I think yeah, yeah but you do you also do produce from hemp right yeah yeah in some of our denim we have hemp and linen a lot in our um, tops but also in some knitwear we have hemp so we try to implement those fibers as well. Yeah. All right. So we can lead the change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, the whole process of producing uh, a pair of jeans is frankly overwhelming, and I see that it requires a lot of business partners and network of suppliers because you use a lot of materials, and all of them come from different parts of the world. I've seen that you openly published the list of your suppliers. Yeah. Do you think that's uh, something new? Is it still a trend or new industry normal, you would say? Yeah, I think it's becoming a more industry normal nowadays, or I hope so. I think Gucci, the first Meet the Maker campaign that we did was in 2010. So that's where we show these are the people that made your clothes. Um but actually, the shift in the industry came in 2013 when Rana Plaza collapsed. It's now 10 years ago. 1,134 people died, I believe. And it was the biggest like catastrophe in the fashion history up to, until now. And they didn't know which companies were producing there. Companies themselves often didn't know that they were producing there. They only found out by the labels between the rubbles which brands were. And from there, Fashion Revolution started. It's an NGO and they really focus on transparency in the industry. And in 2016, they launched the Fashion Transparency Index. And I believe last year they concluded that 24% of fashion is transparent now. It was only a 1% increase from the year before. Actually, the amount of brands grew until 48%, but 50% doesn't include any information about the supply chain yet. So there is like some kind of uh, joy to have about the growth of uh, companies being transparent about their first tier suppliers, so where they combine all the clothing. 
Um, but yeah, there's a long way to go to make it really an industry standard. But I think EU legislation will help it with that as well. Yeah, yeah fingers crossed. Yeah, I think the legislation can push the change forward. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly with packaging, we talked a lot about the production. I hope by now everyone knows how denim is produced <laughs> and then turned into a pair of jeans. Yeah. Let's talk about bringing products to your end customers. What are your distribution channels at the moment for Kuichi brand? Uh, yeah, well, we have uh, multi-brand retailers that uh, sell our products and we have our own web shop. And I think there are some web shops out there that also sell Kuichi, but... Uh, most is affiliate marketing or these kind of things, yeah. Sure, and I mean, obviously I wouldn't be myself if I wouldn't ask. What kind <laughs> of uh, packaging do you use across those distribution channels? Well, I brought it for you, so you can have the experience yourself. Yay! Here you go. <laughs> A little bit of unboxing, huh? Yeah. Okay, before I... Um, I don't want to say destroy it, but before I open it, can you tell us a little bit about it? Or what am I carrying? Yeah, well, it's a uh, paper uh, mailer and uh, it's FSC certified. So from Sustainable Forests, uh, the paper is made. It has two closing strips, so you can return your package if you want. Uh, or hopefully you enjoy it, you don't need it. But if you need it, then you don't need to search for new packaging. So that's really nice. And what we really like about it with BackHelp is that it's locally produced as well. So it's within the EU in Poland. Uh, and that uh, limits also the carbon emissions of the packaging, of course. All right. Um, let's do a little bit of unboxing now. I'm going to open this. I hope I do it correctly, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a very popular solution nowadays because it doesn't tear apart your packaging. You can just... Uh, open it it's very easy and there is a double strip you mentioned about yeah and obviously some clothing is it for me <laughs> i don't know your size so you can try it on <laughs> all right amazing oh my god i love yeah. the details uh can you tell us a little bit about the labels you're using yeah so we try to don't use any unnecessary labeling so we have an overrider yeah um, here it's for the shops so they can see the kind of product it is and the size also here on the front and we have also this uh, label and it's about the material inside and you can scan the qr and get more information about the material and why we use it so in that way it's kind of a way to uh, educate our consumers as well while they buy uh, our product because on the website it's really easy to explain yeah. everything you want but on the product it's um, a lot more difficult <laughs> all right yeah there is more there is more all right there's another pair of uh jeans loving them and there is a little thank you card yeah oh my god it says thank you for your order and support we know it's in good hands but you might need some extra advice scan the qr code to view our care guide that's yeah. a wonderful idea. So how do you educate your customers further? What's in the care guide? Yeah, so we uh, just launched care guide this year. We had like some yeah, tips before, but now really based on the material that's inside your jeans or your top, you can see what kind of uh, care you need to give it. So how to wash it, but also tips like don't wash your jeans too often because yeah. it will ruin them <laughs> in the long term. Real denim lovers never wash their jeans. So 
yeah so it's like these kind of tips and it's nice to have it in the package because it's like a touch point with your consumer um yeah. where they hopefully also take the effort to check it because a lot of the impact of a garment is in how we consumers are using it and um yeah we give over like the responsibility of that at that point <laughs> it it really shows that every piece of your packaging you really thought it through and it's there for a purpose yeah uh, which i think other brands can really learn from you okay zoe thank you so much for bringing this for me i'm gonna keep them <laughs> You're a perfect uh, example of uh, packaging that's minimalistic and on point and well thought. But uh, you obviously interact with a lot of other fashion brands um, and you're a part of the industry at large. So uh, what would you say are the biggest challenges in packaging for fashion brands right now? Um, yeah, I think... Uh, big uh, problem is like return packaging so like the double closure strip you already said it it's really something that brands want these days because unfortunately with online shopping there's a lot of returns because people buy several sizes or several styles and only pick one um, so yeah that is something that is challenging but for me personally I'm not an expert in this field of course but for me personally I really hate it when I have several packaging and they are building up in my home and I have to yeah. dispose of them all. So I think the industry should think more about the value of the packaging itself and how it's disposed of. So we had like compostable mailers before your packaging, but we found out that actually it's a really good solution because it's a low impact on the environment. But not the right channels to dispose of it are there yet. So it's like too much in front of, of uh, the big crowd. And in that way, we thought, okay, then let's go to paper because almost every country has a good paper recycling system that is efficient and that people can use easily. So, yeah, I think thinking about those kind of things, and but also plastic, I think is one of the main things that people are trying to get rid of or like virgin plastic packaging. Um, yeah 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 i confirmed that looking at yeah. uh you know the inquiries <laughs> we're getting and also the customers we're interacting with i think you made a very valid point on looking at the, the whole life cycle of a packaging because i think sometimes brands are really excited about some of the innovative brands or you know like buzzwords but then in the end you always need to put it in the context and see whether your packaging really serves the purpose um, yeah. it was given and then if it can be recycled or composted or whatever is the material that you're using but um yeah yeah i think that's a that's a big challenge i need to i need to ask one thing uh that's very um hot <laughs> in in the fashion packaging mm -hmm. and it's about poly bags um recently i came across a case study from uh, patagonia so a very well-known brand for its sustainability efforts mm, yeah. and they were um examining whether they can remove um poly bags um from their packaging in delivery yeah. Uh, and for um, those of you who don't know it, polybags are um, plastic foils that you wrap your garment with and then you put it in secondary packaging. Um, it's for better protection in delivery, usually. Yeah. They actually 
found out that uh, removing polybags increased the damage rate in delivery. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, the solution of removing them was um, way less sustainable because then, um, yeah, the, the damages increased, people started returning the clothes and then they yeah. could no longer sell it. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, I think you have to look at the product that's inside. So with some, it's needed. With others, it's not needed so much. Uh, with our denim, most of them become without a polybag. Only the really light, uh, like our undyed denim. So there's no dyed use. So it's the original color of cotton. So that gets dirty really fast, of course, because it's a, like a beige kind of look. Uh, but all our denim doesn't have a polybag. And... We've done that for a couple of years, so I wouldn't know if it increased the rate or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and for our tops, we do use poly bags and we're now examining if we can use like transparent paper poly bags. Um, but we have to find the logistics for that because we have, of course, multiple partners. So they have, and they always have like poly bags on stock for yeah. all brands. Um, so we have to find, um, yeah, the right way for that. Yeah. Easier said than done, I guess. Yes, <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. looking back at the whole production process, I can only imagine what it is like to now require all your suppliers to use a different packaging. I mean, yeah, might be difficult. <laughs> Could be, yeah. One of the things I also wanted to cover with you is being circular, because I think this word is so overused. I'm almost mm -hmm. fed up with it. Like I see a lot yeah. of um, fashion collections that are circular, brands that are circular are popping left and right. So uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I want to get your perspective on that. And if you could first explain a little bit the concept of what, mm -hmm. what does it actually mean to be a circular brand? Yeah, I think that would be a good start. So yeah, circularity, it's, yeah, it's really after sustainability, maybe the most used word uh, without a really defined meaning, yeah. I would say. The th one that we use is the one based on the R strategies or the R letter. And there are like a lot of words explaining circularity beginning with an R. <laughs> so it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, it's about uh, refusing. So don't buy what you don't need, but also refuse unnecessary packaging or these kind of things. Um, then reducing the amount of impact that you have with your production, for instance, uh, but also recycling, which is, I think, the better known part of circularity. Reusing, so making sure it has another life cycle. Repairing, so it lasts longer. And there's also like recovering and making it into energy or uh, yeah, recycling it into insulation and downstream options. All these R strategies connect with each other, but they also go from like a high value to a lower value. And it's always the best to use the highest value first. And for us, that's reuse. It's and repair is actually the best way to do it because you keep it in a loop. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to remanufacture or anything. And that makes it that the impact is the lowest. Um, so, yeah, that is one a strategy that we focus on. And recycling, we already talked about using a lot of recycled fibers, but also thinking about our own waste streams and recycling them. Um, and yeah, so there are a lot of different ways to, th to think about it. The main thing that we focus on is the refuse one. 
we stopped doing sale back in 2016. We focus on making clothes that last for multiple seasons and that go over the seasons as well. With that, it's also like a communica- communication between our consumer and ourselves because we have our never out of stock styles. And depending on um, how much people like it and how much people uh, buy it from us, we de- decide if it stays in the never out of stock style or we can offer something else instead that works better at that moment. So it's like a conversation on demand from the consumer uh, and from the retailer as well. And I think that's really a new way to look at the business. And it's like a circular mindset, business model mindset as well, because it doesn't make sense to make like a new black skinny jeans the next season that has maybe a different button. Uh, Instead, you can just sell the same one again in the next season as well. So why discount it after one month? Uh, up to until 70% and devalue the product uh, without any necessary purpose for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then as a consumer, you're wondering what are you paying for, right? If it can get discounted up to 70%, yeah. what am I paying for? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like the mindset that we teach our consumers that uh, clothing is a certain value. And then suddenly the next month it's 70% off. So we teach that clothing devaluates over time and that everything is uh yeah temporal and it's it's in the essence of fashion uh because fashion is the thing that it's a temporal trend in in that time and space and that's why we came up with the term unfashion because we try to go against that fast cycle of producing new and demanding new and uh, buying new and not thinking about what you're buying yeah yeah, I get it, and I agree with that. Um, but I want—I also want to challenge it a little bit because mm-hmm. obviously, um, customer behaviors change over time. Just looking at the pandemic and what happened afterwards, I read that the demand for softer and stretcher materials has increased because people were staying more at home and they wanted more comfortable clothes. You can also see that customers are more educated, so the demand for sustainable clothing has also increased. So, I mean, there are some trends happening and people change over time um, Mm -hmm. and their expectations change. So how do you respond to those trends? Yeah, well... I think the concept of trends, yeah, trends are there, but they're also circular because they come back over time. So right now, if you look at what kind of denim people wear on the streets, it's like bootcuts from the 60s. It's like flare jeans from the 70s. It's mom jeans from the 80s. It's the wide-legged jeans from the 90s. Low waist is coming back again. (laughs) Please no. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but it's coming back again, guys. (laughs) So you can see all these trends are constantly coming back. So in the end, it's about your personal style and what you like and what your body uh, looks like in these kind of trends. And we never follow each trend. We only follow the trends that fit with our, our own identity. If we offer all those different kinds of vibes in our collection, then people can choose the trends that they like at the moment. There is also one more trend I wanted to ask you about, and it's about 
um, customization because I, um, I mean, obviously yeah. we ride on that trend. We, <laughs> as a pack help, we produce um, custom packaging uh, for the brands that want to have packaging that's branded, that's unique. But I think this uh, trend is um, across a lot of other uh, industries as customers we want things that are unique we want to feel special the, the popularity of special collections yeah. or you know collabs with designers I think that's all a proof of that so um, what do you think about it? I think customization is great and I think it's also something that you see now a lot because there's also this trend of people making their clothes again themselves, uh, like crocheting, uh, knitting, that kind of trend is there as well. We don't offer customization in that way. We do have a local project um, in Utrecht. There's this uh, sustainable warehouse, Greenup, and we have a collaboration with Petra from Indigo Ravens, and she customizes yeah, denim into patchwork new uh garments which is really awesome they look great so if you're in Utrecht go visit there I'm gonna. Uh, <laughs> limited editions will always be in trend because it's something captured in our brain we like if something is limited we want to have it yeah um it's why diamonds are so expensive because there's a monopoly on it and one person decides how much diamonds there are on the market and yeah we want to have it because there's limited stocks and so yeah, it's really simple to use it in a, as a marketing trick and that's what uh, brands are doing and it's working. And I think it's also good because we like to be unique and yeah, you can choose your own style, like I said before, in that way also with limited uh, editions. But don't let it drive you. Don't just buy it because it's limited. Buy it because you like it. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's a very smart advice to really think through your purchases as a customer but also as a brand what you're putting on the market yeah i think just think it twice yeah it's not always that hard. yeah <laughs> yeah one of the i mean i don't know if i can call it a trend but one of the things i'm observing on the market as a consumer also is a lot of rating systems for fashion brands it can be a portal or a website or an app that is rating different fashion brands on, well, their sustainability efforts, the product, yeah. etc. And I'm wondering what kind of value it brings from your perspective to both uh, consumers and the brands. Are you part of any, by the way? Yeah, we are part of a couple, I think. Um, I think one of the most well-known is Good On You. I think these kind of rating systems is, are really good because... It gives like a first impression of a brand and most consumers don't want to dive into each brand's website and find out for themselves. And Good On You is really based on, okay, what information is available of the brand and based on that we give a score. And it gives like a first, yeah, global idea of what the brand is communicating and talking about and doing in a way as well, because normally that's line in line. <laughs> But it's also difficult because it's really a s small assessment and there's so much more going on behind all the communication about sustainability. And that's why there's also a lot of benchmarks that are going further than that. For instance, we're part of the corporate fiber and materials benchmark from Textile Exchange that really dives into materials. Not only the percentage that we're using uh, different fibers, but also the strategy behind it, where we're sourcing it. Biodiversity, they just added as a chapter as well. So 
it really dives deeper into what brands actually do. And uh, this is also something that you can just find online as a consumer. So you can see what brands are doing on a fiber level. I think both need to be there. Um, and as a consumer, it's really difficult to move through the, all the information about sustainability and see greenwashing from real uh, information. Um, yeah. It's really difficult to create that eye for it. And me, myself, sometimes am puzzled as well if I look at some communication. Like, I'm not sure if this is right, <laughs> but I can't pinpoint why I think that it's not right. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's just a gut feeling, It's right? a gut feeling, yeah, yeah, like... Mm. <laughs> and it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, 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 trusted gut feeling. That is maybe the first tip, but also it's good to find these rating systems and see for yourself what they think uh, is going on. And then if you want to dive deeper, go to the website. And We're uh, slowly reaching uh, the end of today's episode, and I'd like to finish it up with a round of uh, fire rapid questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Think of it as a quick recap of our conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you questions and then you have like one word, one sentence max to answer it. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So what's the most important trend in the denim industry? Flared legged jeans and lower waist. What's <laughs> the key thing to improving the production process for denim products? I would say think about uh, fibers and... Uh, also, the volume that you're producing. Yeah. What packaging do you use to ship products to your customers? We're using packet mail- mailers, the e-green bags. <laughs> what materials is it made of? FSC certified paper. Okay, now finish the sentence. If a brand wants to be circular, it should start with? Thinking about waste and reuse. Fashion brands should stop Seal, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Something other brands can take as an example from Koichi is? No matter where you are in your journey, starts communicates transparently. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Zoe. That was so much fun. And I really appreciate your honesty and transparency in communicating with us. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for joining us. I hope you really enjoyed today's episode of The Packaging Perspective. If you did, share it with your friends, with your network, with your family, share it everywhere. And don't forget to tune in for the next episode. In episode two, we will be chatting with Brownie God on making and delivering the internet's most favorite brownies. It will be a treat, I promise. So until the next time, bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, head over to packhelp.com to keep on exploring the exciting world of packaging. 